Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to The Commons. I'm your host, Brian Phillips. We're here for another conversation about school life and leadership. And I'm not the only Brian on the show today. Uh, this, uh, I, I'm, this episode, I'm joined with a very special guest, Brian Daigle. Uh, Brian, it's great to have you on The Commons today. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, and thanks for all the, the work that you do as well. Oh, thank you. Um, so, so I want to start by introducing you to our listeners, because uh, frankly, listing off the things that you do could take a while. So... Let's see, you are the headmaster and a teacher at Sequitur Classical Academy. You're the rector of Christ the Redeemer Church, the director and a professor at the Classical College, and you're an author for Mudhouse Art and Literature. Did did I miss anything? Uh, Father, husband, son. (laughs) Right, so I missed all the important things, really, the the most important things. Yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, that that uh, that covers, I, I guess, my uh, professional right. work, and um, you know, it, it certainly even sometimes when I list it, it feels like a lot until I realize everything that I do is kind of in a big river. Uh, it just mm-hmm. depends on what part of the river I'm in. Right, right. So yeah. be, before we get to the main discussion today, let, let me just ask because I. Uh, I find such bios, the bio, you know, the the professional profiles, kind of fascinating, uh, because we do live in a time when people seem to feel the need to be very specialized. We live in a, a time of specialists, right? So, how did you get involved in all of these different works? And and you've already sort of alluded to this, but how do you keep up with it all? Yeah, I think um, I, I think those would. There, my, my answer to both of those questions, how did I get into this and how do I keep up with it? I, I think you're answered one in the same way. I, I got into this um, really one step at a time. Uh, in, in a big picture, I got into this because it is very much not what I received growing up. Mm. And at about 21 years old, I saw the contrast between... Um, this whole world of, of what we could, we could call Christian scholarship and everything I had gotten growing up, even though I was raised in the church, I was raised in a Christian home, 
I was baptized uh, as an infant. I was catechized. Um, I, I had such a stark, um, I saw such a stark contrast between the idea of loving God with my mind and then what I had gotten prior to the age of 21. And, and frankly, I was um, in, I, I hungered for, for what that meant to, to live a full Christian life, to live a Christian life of, of intellectual integrity, to live a Christian life of thoughtfulness and consideration, and, and really to have my uh, Christian beliefs undergird and infuse everything that I did which I had not thought about again until the end of my undergraduate schooling. So um, I got into this again, one step at a time. Uh, I had some good men around me at, a, at about uh, 21, 22 years old who were asking me some questions, putting books in my hands. And um, it wasn't long, it, really only a few months before I realized that um, classical education, uh, Christian scholarship, um, the, the liberal arts, those sort of things were things I wanted to pursue more distinctly uh, and just uh, biblical masculinity and the fullness of what that means. Uh, I've, I've stayed in it <laughs> by the grace of God and uh, by good friendships and uh, one step at a time, right? I stay in it um, in, in terms of what I want to do and the things I want to pursue and help build one step at a time, one month at a time, one friendship at a time one congregate at a time. Uh, and I think that's been for me the, the best way to, mm -hmm. to do a lot and not feel overwhelmed and not get busy without actually doing good things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and as you mentioned before, seeing, seeing all the works that you're involved in as being an, an extension of that one calling. Right. Um, yeah. so it's, uh, it can be, it can be tempting to think of, you know, wearing, wearing many hats when in reality you, you're really wearing one. It's yeah. one, one calling that just has kind of extensions, right? Different, different obligations or particulars at different times. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was speaking with a, a pastor in California this past week. He has a Christian school. Um, they're trying to convert it to classical. And one of the questions he asked me was, how I balance my life as a rector and how I balance my life or as a pastor, how I balance my life as a headmaster. And I said that the thing for me that's most comforting is the things that I put my hand to are all complementary, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, my work as a pastor, my work as a headmaster, my work as an author, those aren't in conflict with my work as a father. Right. In fact, if I do those things well, I'm a better father for doing them. I should be a better father for doing them. I am a better father for doing them if I do them well. And same thing as a husband. And, um, and so to see them as complementary, to see them even as expressions of the same exact idea or same vocation, it, it, it really does help to, to understand how I'm, I'm, I'm growing um, as a whole person. Hmm. Well, now today we want to focus in for a little while on aesthetics. This is one aspect of Christian scholarship, of, of Christian classical education that you've been involved in. Uh, now, now aesthetics, if you're, if you're listening and you're thinking, okay, well, what, what exactly does that involve? A kind of textbook definition or dictionary definition of aesthetics is just, it, it deals with nature, beauty, and, and the appreciation of it. 
And today we're going to talk about that particularly uh, in light of our own schools and homeschools. So that connects, Brian, with with some of the work that you're doing um, and is being done through Mudhouse Art. So uh, again, this is if you missed it in his in his professional bio, Mudhouse Art and Literature is is one particular um, work that uh, that you're involved in. So talk to us about uh, the work that Mudhouse is is doing, particularly uh, in regards to uh, aesthetics. Yeah. I think I think a little bit of backstory would be helpful. So sure. um, Kevin uh, is my colleague. Um, he's a, a art professor at Sequitur and at the Classical College. Um, he studied printmaking in undergrad and went to Ohio State and got his MFA in printmaking. And we were together in our undergraduate years in a college ministry. And eight years ago, he and I and one other man uh, started Sequitur. We launched that, and about a year into Sequitur, he and I looked at each other and we said, you know, <laughs> I said, you're an artist. I, I like to write and, and, and wrestle with ideas and literature. I said, it's really important as we get this school going, as we get Sequitur off the ground, our, our first through 12th grade classical school, it's really important that you and I model for our students <laughs> the idea that we are makers. Um, I think that idea has been prop, given proper platform the past five to ten years in Christian scholarship. Um, the idea that as Christians we're makers and and we ought to be making we're, we're made in the image of God. God is a maker, and we ought to be making things. So, uh, quite how these things work out of, out of great ignorance, we said, okay, what does it look like to start? a publishing house where we can make our own books, we can make our own art, we can uh, we can think about beautifying our, our community first and then beautify others who want to partner with us. So Mudhouse, Mudhouse began as really Kevin and I looking at each other saying, you need to practice your craft, I need to practice my craft, and uh, we need we need to, to make sure that um, our students see us living full Christian lives in the, the, the gifts that God's given us. And so from that, um, Mud, part of Mudhouse's mission is to, uh, is to, to ask the sort of question uh, within our schools, within our homeschools, uh, concerning um, <laughs> the life, we could, we could call it the life in the lived body or the incarnate life. Uh, the life you mentioned the word appreciation when it comes to aesthetics. Um, you know, it's one thing to present an argument in a book or in a syllogism, right? Or in a in a in a, uh, a verbal uh, dispute. It's another thing to present an argument in a piece of architecture, <laughs> which it is, right? A, right. a, a building is an argument. Yeah. Uh, it's a very subtle. It's it's, it's subtle and it's um, and it's um, in your face. And so um, our, our, our hope to, to look at art, to care for art, and when I say art, I mean the fullness of what art is. The spatial arts, the culinary arts, the visual arts, the martial arts, we're, we're looking at all those as arts, and, and art is such a big word. And we're saying, how do we actually live and, and express and be faithful to our belief that 
that we ought to we ought to take back the arts, we ought to redeem the arts, we ought to have a biblical view of the arts, and frankly, we ought to be writing about it and making it. Um, that's really the thrust of what Mudhouse is and why Mudhouse exists. And um, you know, so we're we're a, we're not a major publishing company; we're a small um, entity. We put out about three to four books a year, based on interests that we have or needs that we see. Uh, in the broader uh, Christian uh, environment, Christian culture in America, and especially in the broader culture of, of classical education. And then really, it, it's we look at our students, and, and we, we want to give our students a platform for publication, and we want to give our students a platform uh, for, for uh, expressing the truth, goodness, and beauty within the, the arts that God's called them to. Um, I think in his book, uh, Notes from the Total World, Nate Wilson does a really great job of, of talking about how um, art is. He has this, this part where he's talking about art, and he says, art is. <laughs> and it is such a profound statement for the Christian to say, art is not merely an elective. In fact, it's one of the only human disciplines that we can't elect in or out of. Art is. It, it, uh, ontologically, art is what God does all the time. And if we believe that, then, uh, then we ought to be living lives that express that. Uh, and so Mudhouse is this corporate organization of our ability to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and the other thing Mudhouse does is we, we want to look around the, the classical world and prop up other folks who are doing this. You know, we want to make publication partnerships. We want to work with other startup groups and, uh, and either help them by what we've learned or offer them resources or do, you know, um, bulk discounts for them where they can sell our stuff. We can sell their stuff and, and receive great benefit from it and continue to, to thrive. Yeah. And, and this is all wonderful work that you're doing. Um, and in in classical education circles, whether in conventional, in, you know, a school context, a day school context, or in homeschooling, we talk so much about truth, goodness, and beauty. Right? We we want our students to encounter truth, goodness, and beauty. Why is it so important for our schools and homeschools to be places where we encounter beauty? Uh, both our our students and the teachers and leaders. Yeah, that's great. I, I think um, <clears throat> I think the lack of emphasis on beauty. Um, our, our school. I, I took a bunch of our teachers to visit a classical school recently, and I, I won't give the name, but um, it was a wonderful place. It was a great experience for us. Um, one of the things that was disappointing in our visit was. The administrators sat us down and they were going through the slide show that they do, I guess, with prospective parents and with other uh, educators. Mm-hmm. And their, their tagline was um, truth, goodness, and of course, right, if you've been in classical education long enough, you're thinking, oh, they're going to say beauty. Right. It said truth, goodness, and excellence. Hmm. <laughs> and it said it real big on the screen. And of course, right, Kevin and I look at each other across the room and we go, Oh man, what like? Yeah, what, surely whoever omitted that was well aware that they were they were putting something else into this ancient triad, 
And so, so before I answer the question, I think it's a great one. Why do we need to focus on beauty? I think the reason we don't focus on beauty um, is because we don't, two reasons, we don't understand it. We don't understand what beauty is. It's incredibly intimidating. The second reason is our culture has hijacked it and, and, and placed it in the realm of subjectivity. What I mean by that is our culture has hijacked it and said that beauty, right, the, the, the popular phrase beauty is in the eye of the beholder, mm-hmm. that beauty is merely in the eye of the beholder. And so there is no public common platform for us to actually discuss and enjoy beauty together as a community. Um, so the reason we don't, the, the reason why a, a school might do that or a homeschool might might do this whole, even functionally truth, goodness, excellence is beauty is intimidating first, um, and and uh, beauty has been hijacked, and we have not done enough as Christians to to um, put the, the 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 locale of beauty into the Triune God, uh, which former theologians have done a great job with. Mm-hmm. The reason why it's so important that we, <laughs> the reason why it's so important that we have the idea of beauty in and around our schools is because. Um, I think Adler does a great job in his book, uh, Six Great Ideas, um, when, he, when he talks about uh, the ideas that we live by. He, he calls um, the ideas we live by are liberty, equality, and justice. The ideas we judge by, according to Adler, are truth, goodness, and beauty. So, so think about that. Adler put the ideas we judge by, truth, goodness, and beauty. And think about if we take beauty out of our ability to judge the world. If we take beauty out of our ability to judge the world, we will miss a significant portion of what it means uh, to be image bearers of God and to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to redeem the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Um, there is this whole portion of our, our 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 lives lived together in society and our individual personhood um, that requires beauty in order to have an, uh, a soul that is properly functioning, uh, properly delighted, properly um, ordered, properly joyful, um, and so the idea that we would ignore. Uh, this this whole portion of again how we judge the world, how we see the world, how we live in the world. Um, it's almost as crazy as saying we don't think that, you know tr- truth. The past um, the past seventy five years, Christian apologetics right has really emphasized truth, um, uh, and um, Christian ethics has really in- emphasized goodness. Mm-hmm. Right, we need to have proper view of goodness, proper view of truth. Um, it is so important to have a proper view of beauty as Christians because it, it, it is a particular expression of, of our lives in the world, our lives together. And frankly, as some have put forth uh, uh, in the past few decades, it might be even more powerful of an argument than something like a propositional argument. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, uh, some folks have argued that if we want to to reach the postmodern world, the way to do it <laughs> is actually through beauty. 
because there is a sense in our culture that truth is up for grabs, goodness is within the person alone, but beauty, at least in the 21st century, appears to be something that's come more into the um, into the public imagination. And so, you know, a few a few ways to answer the question: Why should we care about beauty? One is it's integral to our 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 lives as Christians, um, um, the, all the aspects that pertain to beauty are necessary for the life of holiness. Second, it's an expression of mature Christianity. Beauty is when you care about beauty, when you pursue beauty, when you judge the world by standards of beauty, it's, it's a mature expression of Christianity. And then a third answer could be we're able to engage a world that right now seems to, to care about aesthetics the first time I ever heard the word aesthetics was in my undergrad. In, um, my undergrad was in design, in industrial design from the School of Architecture and Design in Lafayette, Louisiana. And the first time I heard aesthetics, it was merely the idea of the form of an object. It was the form of an object, right? So um, uh, uh, um, it usually went hand in hand with ergonomics. <laughs> so right. Right when you design a car, what's the aesthetics of a car? It had it had everything to do with the, the the sensual physical form of the car, and usually its relationship to the body. And I think while that's true, um, particularly for the Christian, beauty has a relationship with the body. I do think it extends beyond that uh, in a in a transcendent way, and uh, and that's something that we have to recover. And and real briefly, we have to recover it not just in thought. You don't, right? It's one thing yeah. to recover the truth of beauty. That's great. Right. What about the the practice of beauty? Right. What about the 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 moment the moment of beauty? We could call it, um, and that's part of where these busts came from. Um, uh, that that Mudhouse is doing these moments of beauty uh, um, within a within a um, certain confines that we want to to capture within our Christian Christian uh, communities. Yeah. And and it's true that that in Christian communities, whether you're talking about a church or school or homeschool, so much of our concern is really we buy into that idea of of, of aesthetics being tied only to functionality, right? Yeah. Will will this actually right. get the job done? Not right. is it beautiful? Is it is it a a physical expression of truth and good goodness? Right? Um, yeah. And we do, we separate, we separate those. There was a, um, uh, one of Francis Schaeffer's lesser known works um, called uh, Ecology and the Death of Man. And in that book, he, he talks uh, or tells the story of visiting this um, very conservative uh, evangelical church. And he noticed that right across, I think it was a, a river, right across a river, there was this commune basically of hippies so you could look across the church property down into this little valley across the river and see this this commune of of hippies who are all you know uh kind of pagans essentially um in their religion or ideology so schaefer as he often would do this kind of thing walked across uh to this commune to visit the people and as he's talking with them uh, of course he's the the passion of his life was sharing Christ with people who did not know him. And as he's talking with them, the leader of this community pointed out to him that they had never been invited across 
to the church, but they didn't really want to go anyway. And when Schaefer asked why, why would you not want to go across? And he said, look at the place. And, and as he looked across, he saw it was kind of like a metal building, you know, all of the landscaping was very artificial. The trees had been kind of cut down. It was, it, in other words, it was an ugly place. There was nothing really appealing. It was not a beautiful place. And he looks around this hippie commune who, you know, as far as their, their beliefs, their understanding of God were wrong. They didn't have truth. In a lot of ways, they didn't have goodness, but they were longing for beauty. You know, their, their cottages and buildings and orchards and gardens and all of it, just absolutely beautiful, breathtaking. Um, and so Schaefer's making the point that, um, as you mentioned, yes, as Christians, we, we talk a lot about and are concerned with truth and goodness, but you cannot separate truth and goodness from, from beauty. Uh, was it Solzhenitsyn that referred to beauty as being the, the jealous sister? Um, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Separate the three. Um, my, um, it, you know, my, my personal, my, if, <laughs> to unveil my soul for a moment <laughs> to you and, and the listeners, my personal interest in beauty has a lot to do with the fact that it's an antidote to cynicism. Mm. And, and what I mean by that is I, I think it is important in the classical classical world right now that we are critical properly. I think that's fine. I think even more important though, <laughs> you're not, you're not going to convince people with criticism. You're not going to, mm-hmm. you can deconstruct things. You're, you can deconstruct things with criticism, but um, the thing that wins people uh, and you think about your own experience, right? Someone can walk over and criticize the building that you're building. And that's fine. But if they, if they were to, um, after, either after criticizing or not criticizing at all, build something attractive, mm-hmm. right, on, on what God has given them, and let that stand as the argument for what they're doing, mm. there is something about that that is so powerful. And, uh, and there's, there's a lot of reasons why the church isn't doing that right now. There's a lot of reasons why the church um, uh, is um, is sacrificing aesthetics and sacrificing beauty uh, for sometimes even lesser goods uh, like um, a bottom line or, or 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 a fast, quick building, right? As opposed to being patient over generations. Um, so you know, part part of part of my personal interest in wanting to simply build beautiful things, make beautiful things, promote beautiful things is, is because of its power um, uh, to not simply deconstruct uh, someone's worldview, but to, but to construct one that is desirable to live in, that actually grabs a, a human desire and says, <laughs> it, it is almost a mystery why I want to be a part of this but whatever you're doing over there, that community, that building, that architecture, I want to be a part of it. One of my one of my favorite um, my, one of my favorite things I do in in our advanced rhetoric class, my favorite exercise is I ask the students, I ask them, uh, does melody does melody carry um, any sort of truth to it? Does melody of a song carry truth? And it's particularly when I'm trying to distinguish for them the difference between the content of a speech and the delivery of a speech. 
Um, and I want them to see the difference between the content of a song and the delivery of a song. And, uh, and so I, I play for them two separate songs. I play for them uh, Marilyn Manson's All the Beautiful People. Uh, and then I play for them uh, uh, John Lennon's, um, uh, what's, um, oh man, it's slipped my brain. Imagine. Imagine, yeah, yeah, John's Imagine, yeah. <laughs> I've done this exercise 50 times and I can't remember. Um, John Lemon's Imagine. So I actually read the lyrics first um, uh, and then I play the different songs. I don't tell them which lyric goes with which song. And it's funny to watch their, their, um, their response, their, their, their automatic response to both of these songs and showing them that how we deliver something how we tell a story, what we, what we put um, incarnationally into the world is as significant, if not more significant, than the thing that it carries, right? So a church building, <laughs> what does the architecture of a church building communicate both to the church and to a world that is searching for God, um, this has been something in my undergrad I did not get to pursue because I didn't have the categories. But since then, I've taken a great interest in what could be called the theology of the spatial arts. Um, there is a theology and a philosophy in everything we do in the spatial arts. Even if even if we're not a Christian, we are we are making things in in concrete form, not not that building material concrete, but in material form. Um, that tell a story that that actually try to move the body in a particular way uh, toward the good life or the idea of the good life, and that that is all part of aesthetics and beauty uh, is is those overt and subtle um, relationships with the body that are that are being done all around us that the church is either doing or neglecting um, based on how it sees its purpose and its mission here and now. Hmm. So. Uh, I I was fortunate to to attend um, a, a Catholic grammar school, and it was a a beautiful place, really. Uh, from from the church itself to the uh, big classroom windows and massive statues in the hallway. Um, so I, I I grew up attending a school that really was a a beautiful environment. Unfortunately, a lot, a lot of schools and home schools kind of struggle to to cultivate. Or, or maintain a beautiful aesthetic. So we're coming down from the philosophical to very practical issues. What do our schools and homeschools and environments actually look like, right? So what are some of the challenges that schools are, are facing in that regard uh, to, to take the places where we are, where we're meeting, uh, the places where our, our, schooling proper, if you will, is taking place and, and making them beautiful places? What are some of the challenges? To do yeah. that? I think um, as I look around at schools getting started or schools that are, are already going, I can, I can kind of put them in two different arenas. Um, one are schools that share space, and the other one are schools that have their own building. Um, the challenges for schools that share space is they probably share space with a church. They probably share space with a Protestant church, um, right? Presbyterian, Baptist, Anglican. They share, they share space with a Protestant church, and 
it's not in the purview or DNA of the Protestant church right now to, to speak a lot about beauty. Mm. And so, um, it's, it is, it is in the, it is in the, um, the, the purview of the Protestant church right now to speak a lot about evangelism. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but (laughs) beauty is something that takes time. A beautiful garden takes time to cultivate a beautiful, um, a beautiful school culture takes time to cultivate a beautiful building takes time to cultivate. Um, I think the first um, challenge to schools and shared space is the the people with whom they share space, the building where they're tenants, they don't have a view of this. So to convince them that they they need to make some physical modifications to the building in order to make it more orderly, in order to make it more synthesized, in order to make it more distinctly Christian even, distinctly classical, that's a hard argument to make to a church that sees its purpose as very functional, very quick before Jesus comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a very hard thing to convince a church of. So that's a that's pretty tough for a school that that has all of these categories philosophically, a classical school, and yet they're in a shared space with a Christian church that doesn't have those categories. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where, unfortunately. I think over the next three decades, the school is going to have to lead the church in the conversation. It shouldn't be that way. Um, it shouldn't be the case that our ministers and our pastors and our priests aren't thinking about this. But unfortunately, it is the case that more laity are thinking about these categories than the clergy. Um, the other difficulty of schools in shared space is if they're in shared space, it probably means they have a pretty limited budget. <laughs> and so they have to be wise um, about stuff they buy, how they create, um, how much things cost. Um, you know, a, a cathedral isn't an ex- The reason why a cathedral is beautiful is because it's not cheap. <laughs> That's one of the reasons. Yeah, yeah. You know it costs. It costs people something. Mm-hmm. Um, beauty, one of the most important aspects of beauty is that it has value. And value takes time. Value takes commitment. Value takes sacrifice. It takes effort. So beauty takes all of those things. A beautiful family happens because a father and a mother are sacrificing uh, and, and find value in important things. That's, so that's another hard thing is boards and, and administrators have to get their priorities straight and sacrifice in order to uh, to make beautiful schools. And I, I don't just mean, again, sensually, right, according to the senses. I also mean emotionally beautifully, culturally beautiful. Um, I think some of the challenges of uh, of schools that have their own buildings one of the big challenges there is clearly they've raised enough money or they've, they, they've been given uh, some land or a building uh, to care for. I think the challenge there is they are dealing with um, a population in their parents who don't think about this. Hmm. And so parents are thinking college and career readiness, even if they go to classical school. Parents are typically thinking um, how do we compete with the the other schools on sports and on, um, you know, having AP classes and having, you know, these sort of bells and whistles of, of, of modern education. And so for a school to come in and say, 
we're going to spend some money on beauty. <laughs> you might have a, a certain population of your parents and even donors say, well, that doesn't seem very efficient. <laughs> right. um, and really, what they're thinking, right? They're thinking like modern Christians. They're not thinking like biblical Christians. Um, and so, I think that's the challenge that schools have that have their own buildings. Uh, is uh, they've they've got to find a way to to educate their parents and their donors on on how to express and uh, mm-hmm. and, and and grow into this very important arena as Christians. So how do how do headmasters, boards, teachers, parents, homeschooling parents begin to correct this misunderstanding? So. Uh, a lot of the things that we've we've been talking about and indicate that one of our major problems is that we don't really understand beauty yeah. or what it is and its significance and importance. So so where would you suggest if if you had a headmaster talking to you about this or a board member or teacher or whoever, uh, anyone in the realm of classical education asking you how to get started in correcting these misunderstandings, what what would you say? Yeah, I think um, it's easy for me to say, I'm going to give a list of books and let's start there, but it seems a little bit counterintuitive, <laughs> right? Um, I, I think I think I, I would eventually do that, but I think the first thing I would ask them is, how do you think your school is ugly? <laughs> right, in other words, mm-hmm. something prompted you, something prompted you in your own experience as a board member or a headmaster um, to, to actually... Uh, to actually ask the question of beauty. It probably wasn't a philosophical discussion. It was probably your human experience, which beauty hits on um, most squarely. And so I would just ask them, where do, give me a list of five ways you think your school is ugly. And some of those could be um, school culture, right, student conduct sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Some of those things could be um, uh, the orderliness of the, uh, of the organizational chart right? The orderliness of the, of the authority within the school. It's, it's not a, it's not a beautiful structure of humans living together, meeting together. Um, some of it could be the the more obvious physical stuff, like our walls are barren. We have no beautiful art. Uh, we, we have plastic fake posters that we got from the the Christian educational uh, warehouse. Um, so I would just ask them, the first question I'd ask them is, where, where do you think your school is ugly? And experientially, how do you think you fix that? Um, Jacques Maritain, the, the Catholic French philosopher, um, he, he, when he talked about, he has this great quote. It's my favorite quote on Christian art. And he says, Christians who are artists shouldn't make Christian art, <laughs> right? Art with just a, 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 an ichthus or a cross on it. Um, Christians should be faithful Christians, and then they should make art into which their heart can pass. Hmm. I would tell a headmaster that. I would say, if you are growing as a mature man, you have a, a sensibility about you when it comes to beauty that you're not even aware of. So your heart cannot pass into your school culture right now because something is ugly. <laughs> so um, let's start by just asking the experiential question, what do you think is ugly? And, and let's go from there. How do we beautify that thing? And what does it mean to express Christian orthodoxy in that way, whether it's organizational structure, 
whether it's uh, how our teachers dress, whether it's how our students are handling the dress code, whether it's how our parents are dropping off kids or, or, or dealing with conflict, right? That's not a beautiful way to deal with conflict. The second thing I would say is, you know, um, get a list of books on beauty. And I, I, can, um, I, can, I can send you five at the end of this, um, and you can make that available to the listeners. Uh, and start the dialogue among yourself and your own person, in your own home, uh, and then in your own church and in your own school. And let, let your school be an expression of mature Christians doing good things. Um, and so in that regard, I would tell a headmaster or board member to start with yourself. How are you not um, understanding and practicing of, uh, and expressing beauty in your life? And then how will that naturally grow into your community as you mature in it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, this all takes time, right? Um, That's exactly right. It's, it's not right. just expensive. Certainly it can be, but it, but it takes time. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but, but I think that's the that's the really encouraging part, right? Is that this is a this is a, a lifelong work, uh, and it goes well beyond, right? The the folks who were the first generations involved in building the great cathedrals never saw its completion. Um, yeah, you know they they it takes a long time to build something truly beautiful. So, but it but it is a path that we need to begin walking down. And so, uh, yeah, absolutely. And it's funny. I'm I'm glad you mentioned it takes time because that's the other thing is what is your expectation of beauty? You know, there's something, something curious about beauty is it's, it's, it's surprising. Beauty is a surprise. Um, You you can, you can try to formulate beauty, but it never works. (laughs) And the reason is (laughs) beauty is a revelation of God. Right when when we have a moment of beauty, it's God revealing something about Himself to us, and no doubt there are, are there are things that we can do to add the adjective beautiful to it. Right, a beautiful home has certain attributes we can work toward those. A beautiful relationship, a beautiful soul, you, a beautiful song. Um, you can you can have attributes of beauty that you work toward in certain realms. But the moment of beauty is a gift, um, and and you can't control that. And so it does take time. Uh, it does take time to say we're going to we're going to pursue beauty. <laughs> we're going to pursue the beauty of the Lord, and see if God will be so kind to give that to us. Um, I think that's a, a very important thing. So thinking generally, genera- gener- generationally is is uh, is necessary in, in that discussion too. Well, uh, Brian, so uh, thank you for joining me today. Uh, where can where can our listeners go to find out more about Mudhouse and, and the work that you're doing there? That's great. Yeah, so um, uh, mudhouseart.com is our website. And uh, you'll see one of the, the, the most distinct ways that we have sought to bring um, uh, beautiful things uh, within the confines that we know our, our Christian communities are under and our schools are under, particularly within their budget. Um, we've created a whole line of sculptures that, that we want the faces of the people we teach, the faces of the people we read, to be in front of our students and our school communities. Um, and that's our sculpture center. Uh, you can see it on the front page at Mudhouse. Uh, but mudhouseart.com, we have some other art up there. Uh, we want to work with other artists. We want to commission other artists. 
Um, we want to encourage churches to commission artists uh, to beautify and to, um, uh, to, to care for uh, all that God's given us in these particular ways. So, well, thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. A few of those uh, busts that you mentioned, those sculptures are now adorning the Circe offices. So, oh, great. Uh, yeah, so we can vouch for that. There's uh, doing some wonderful work there. Well, Brian, great. thank you so much for joining me today. And for all of you who tuned in, thank you for listening. And now I'm your host, Brian Phillips, signing off this episode of The Commons. We'll talk to you again soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.